0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Gary V. Audio Experience. Today's episode is an interview from a virtual event with Procter & Gamble alongside CEO of Logitech, Bracken Darrell. Gary and Bracken discuss in front of a live audience how businesses can provide consumer-centric solutions to this major transformation we're facing due to the COVID-19 pandemic and digital disruption. We hope you enjoy. This is the Gary V. Audio
1: Experience.
2: I'm Raquel Zuzard and I am a board member of the New York chapter of the Procter & Gamble p Alumni Network, uh, which is a nonprofit made up of 45,000 alumni all over the world uh, and Brecken's one of them too. Uh, and we're here today uh, to really talk about the state of digital and in, in particular, digital disruption our png network for those of you who are part of it awesome if you know other p uh, former pngers who should be part of it please make them uh join because we have a lot of fun events and richard has some fun things lined up in the next few months so today without further ado uh i am excited and as founder also of equity project for all which is a branding and social impact uh, organization to present to you two digital masters. Um, so I would call them masters of digital disruption, but more than that, I would call them masters of being digital athletes. Athletes who you know, have been able to overcome a number of different obstacles in the landscape and you know, come up as winners. First, I'd like to introduce you to my fellow p alum, Bracken Darrell, who is CEO of Logitech since 2013. And he has been responsible for the incredible triple digit growth that the company has seen, uh, especially at a time where we are spending more time in our homes, working, studying, um, and uh, getting uh, telehealth services, has meant a big growth in his business. And now Bracken comes from a very amazing and, and very impressive 20-year career uh, across brand management and senior general management at uh, Procter & Gamble, Whirlpool, and GE. He's an avid basketball player. Uh, I've heard a lot about that, and he, he believes in the power of humor at work. So I feel we're going to hear some jokes from Bracken this afternoon as well. Uh, welcome, Bracken, to the show.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's really uh, It's great to be here with such an illustrious group.
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, so let's now move to the the master we know so well, Gary V. What can I say? Serial entrepreneur, chairman, chairman of VaynerX, CEO of VaynerMedia. I call Gary V the guru with the greatest Vs, right? The great vision great virtuosity, and great vigor. And he never disappoints. Uh, He has been a spokesperson and an advocate and an opinion leader, opinion maker, and everything from esports to NFTs to emerging artists. Uh, When Gary has an opinion, the world listens. So uh, as uh, an early entrepreneur in his uh, youth, he had the opportunity to turn a $3 million business into a $60 million business with Wine Library. And he continues to do amazing things Please welcome Gary V. Hi,
1: everybody! Thank you so much for having me. Uh, one of my favorite talks ever was years ago in Cincinnati with this group. I know some of you were there, and a lot of those things have played out nicely. And I'm excited about that. And I'm really excited to be in this format. I've I found these uh, formats to be quite nice. And so, thank you for having us and to be with Bracken, somebody I really admire and know a little bit, makes it triple fun. So looking forward to it and looking forward to having some banter in the chat. I see we're on our way there too already. So I know we have questions in the end, but I like to multitask. So thank you.
2: All right. So we have uh, Gary and Bracken ready to go. So we're going to start our conversation this afternoon with a level setting question. Digital disruption and how it's presented in the media and how it's presented in industry really depends on who the speaker is or who they're addressing. It's been described as a change in technology that leads to a revolution in a product, a revolution in a market. It's been described as a change in models, business models that lead to new branding. I'm going to ask a very basic question to start us off. And I'll start with you, Bracken. How do you define digital disruption? You
0: know, I I think uh, in my, my career, I've gone through various companies, you know, I would say P and G was a company built on chemical engineering. Uh, GE was a company built on mechanical and electrical engineering, and a lot of companies today are built on software engineering. I think what digital disruption really means to me is bringing all those together and creating business models that are that unlock the power of everything. Um, and really, when you add the service experience that comes through digital, you can you can ex- you can really enhance and explode almost any product category. And turn it from a physical category into a virtual category. Turn a virtual category into a, an experience. So uh, I I see it as a very very broad way of thinking about how to bring experience to users.
2: Yeah, that's I think that's a really great way to talk about the intersection of the you know of the different worlds coming together when it comes to advances we've made. Uh, Gary, how do you define it in a in a succinct way?
1: That it's corporate jargon that a lot of us use that makes me laugh because the concept of it is incredibly non consumer centric. You know, the thought that we have to term something digital disruption is funny because it speaks to the academia that ravages the growth of businesses in the current ecosystem. To me, the, the debates of digital disruption, when you look at the consumer actual behavior of 2021 is really a vulnerability because we speak of it as an emerging when the ship has sailed a long time ago. And so for me, when I hear this question, it feels like a vulnerability that is dictated more by boardroom behavior than by actual consumer behavior.
2: Okay so if we were to think about consumer and double you know click on that consumer behavior like if i just look at the numbers in you know the last 12 15 months uh, telehealth up 75% online banking up 30% remote education up 80% uh, you know more and more people are more conscious about security and privacy in fact 50% up when it comes to purchasing products in that area uh, what what are those trends uh, saying to you about what's next, or you know, what are the things that we need to look out for in terms of the next wave of consumer behavior?
1: Well, I think if we're, you know, I'm gonna try to go very contextual in a PNG CPG manner because that's what we're here for, right? There's a million places I can take it, but from my perspective, those are all things, but it starts with the fact that we don't know those things at PNG because we don't cons- we don't control data we're completely at the mercy of the retailer. So those are all fine and important, but we're not gonna be able to act on it to the level that I'd like. You know, Those are all true. Those are all things that we're seeing. Um, they're all brewing. But I think the organization has to become a consumer centric analytics organization. And what that actually means is having an ability to actually sell direct to consumer so that they can taste it. Um, you know, look what's going on in parallel. You know, how much money Walmart is going to be asking for in media dollars from P and G and others. You know, you know, we have major retail wars of media, media platform retail wars coming. We, you know, there there's bigger inherent things that we need to think of from a digital standpoint with our, with our brands. Um, but yes, consumers are always going to evolve, right? Think about what you just said. You know. I've made my hay the last decade on the consumer being more open. That's why I had such good insights. Social was giving me incredible insights. To your point, the political landscape in our country has grown the interest around privacy, the Apple iOS 14 update, non-trackability. Meanwhile, we have this whole other world called blockchain where crypto has been in the darkness and in the shadows and we're in the emergence of NFTs where people are now going to be showing their public wallets, showing which tokens and NFTs they've bought. So there's incredible dynamics at play right now. But I think, you know, if I go very narrow contextually to this organization, and I'm, I know a lot of you are in different things that touch consumer, I think it starts with are you actually close to the consumer? And if you're a Fortune 500 CPG brand today that does meaningful business, you are the furthest from the consumer. Because you're at the reliance of Amazon and retailers.
2: Yeah, let me pick on that a little bit in terms of retail and uh, Bracken. You know, obviously Logitech is, is a brand that you know relies on the retail distribution. Have you seen incredible consumer behavior from the you know work from anywhere, video everywhere, esports, and the complete democratization of content overall? All accelerated, all creating these incredible tailwinds for your business. So. Uh, you know, how have you stayed on top of some of the things that Gary has just spoken about in terms of, you know, consumer centricity, uh, when you you are balancing your different distribution platforms?
0: Well, I'll, I'll just focus on myself for a minute. You know, I, when I came here, I spent my entire career at the big companies that Gary, Gary described, not only P&G, but GE. And, you know, if I learned one thing, you know, big companies aren't good at anything except scale. the only thing they're good at and it's just incredibly ironic that anybody in a smaller company or a startup looks to big companies for best practices because they don't have any Uh, it's all about uh, effective startups i mean this is where the action is and you know i think the biggest disadvantage a company like logitech has we have a lot of advantages that come from our scale Um, but the biggest uh, disadvantage we have is our existing business our existing business model because it's got to be disrupted and and it will be so I think if, if everybody on this call, if you're not already in a, in a kind of a leading edge startup, start, start making your part of your job, meeting with people who are in leading edge startups. And because they're really on the very they're really at the, they're, they're all creating businesses that are efficient, effective, fun. They're really in integrating all the, the future and the current ways of, of interacting with users. And, and then every company like mine needs to go there. I need to find ways to completely blow up my existing business model. And uh, it, it won't happen overnight, but it's a must. And if, at least you have to think that way because scale will carry you for a very long time, but eventually it gets you.
2: Right, and in terms of uh, how Logitech stays close to its consumers, can you share with us some of the uh, areas in which you've had to double down on in a, in a situation where you know, their, their behavior is completely conducive to the growth of your business right now and, and have you stayed close to them throughout the journey?
0: Well, I'm a complete uh, a zealot for design, and you know, design. A lot of people think of, still think of design as the iPhone, you know, which is a beautiful piece of work, a spectacular piece of work. It's, but it's a, it's a kind of a distance. It's a unfortunately, it kind of miscommunicates what design as a process is. Design as a process is really just get real, as Gary said, just get really cro- close to your customer. You know, if you've got three steps between you and a customer, you need to find a way to get skin on skin and. So when we do design, we're really observing people uh, either directly, indirectly, in every way we possibly can. And uh, it's the only way to create a product's experience. And today, so much of that observation has to be digital. And, uh, but, but we still do it the old-fashioned way, too, which is literally to watch people and, and to talk to people. And they don't know what they – most people don't, can't tell you what they need, although Kitty can, and he's just appeared on camera, mm-hmm. 20 years old. Um, most people can't tell you what they need. So you need to figure out what they need based on really observing them and and trying to understand them. And a lot of the data that's available today can help you do that. And that's what we do.
2: That's excellent. That's great. So uh, Gary, you mentioned the importance of listening and obviously social listening will be an important part of what VaynerX and VaynerMedia does, but in an environment where trust as a currency has really been eroded uh, more so in the last 12 months, I mean, if we look at the numbers, uh, you know, for news media, whether it's uh, traditional or organic uh, social media, we've seen, you know, sometimes double jitted decreases and I'm, referencing the Edelman trust barometer as a source of uh, you know, reduced consumer trust. Uh, so how has Vayner Media been able to provide solutions to your clients in, in an environment of skepticism?
1: Because consumers don't tell the truth. So the Edelman report is broken. And I love Richard Edelman, and I think they're one of the best companies in the game. Um, because I have unlimited data that shows that the world is a bunch of keyboard warriors and we like to communicate one thing and we like to get pulled one way, but we spend our money differently. You know how I many companies hurt their business by banning Facebook ads when not one consumer gave them any credit for it? One of the biggest issues in our industry is we're very insular in the boardrooms and within the ad industry press the way we've been able to navigate it is by showing unequivocal business data that it's not actually playing out in real life. Now, do I think that there's a lot less trust? Yes, I do. Do I think that blends down all the way to somebody looking at detergent or or a, a camera or toothpaste and saying, I don't trust them, they're part of the system, no. I don't. And I think the data supports that in business results. So if you look at all the brands that have been boycotted or canceled, there's no correlation against their social media ravaging and their actual business results. Humans like to feel like they're doing something when they type something on a social media post, but the way they spend their money is remarkably different. So the way we've been able to do it, Raquel, and it's been very effective for our clients is because I am a little bit of a unique CEO where I'm willing to, I'm not an agency where I'm like, whatever the client says, we'll say yes because we want the money. I want to be historically correct. I'm building a different kind of brand. And that shows up in our work. And we we fought some crazy battles this time last year where I would tell executives that they were using their own personal altruistic point of view on society to make business decisions. And I, I'm i empathetic to that because I'm extremely socially liberal and other people are extremely the other way. And that's all great and fine and dandy. The problem is I'm completely unemotional when I make business decisions because it's my responsibility to do such. And the way we've been able to navigate and why we had some real relationship building this last year for us is we, we made and helped a couple of them, call it 35% of our clients, make some risky calls that weren't popular on adage.com or on LinkedIn that have paid off to be very smart business decisions. Because unfortunately, one of the biggest issues I have with consumer outrage is it doesn't sustain and it doesn't show up in the actual data, which is gonna make people eventually tune it out, which is dangerous because I think, there's a great force in having the collective conversation. But the answer to your question is by not overreacting to headlines.
2: Okay. I think there certainly has been 12 months or 15 months of extreme headlines, uh, both in in terms of our- And and, and, and Rick, I apologize.
1: I wanna say something because it's very important because it could be missed because I didn't add the nuance. I also start with let's do good things. This isn't like, that answer wasn't like, it's actually the reverse. It's like, you're never gonna be able to hide if you're not doing the right thing for the environment or for gender or race equality or anything in the world. So let's get over the days of where you could hide and let's actually address the actual thing. But let's also, just because something happens, let's be thoughtful. The organization that created the Facebook ban was running millions of dollars in Facebook ads for donations while the ban was going on. I find that interesting and and something that I want people to be more enlightened about. So I I think consumer trust issues sit at the political and media and social media level, not with bars of soap or with sneakers. And that's been proven out here in this last year, in my opinion.
0: If I could, if I could jump in for a second, I I think there's two ways to interpret what Gary just said. And I, and, uh, and I know uh, Gary's Gary's interpretation would probably be similar to mine. I think, the most important thing is not trying to figure out tactically what you should deliver to sell something. It's defining your values. It starts with knowing what you stand for. And it's a, all the decisions that follow that are so much easier if you know what you stand for. And once you know what you stand for, then it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a knob turn, not, a, not, a, not an enormous switch. You've got a flip that feels painful and scary. So I'm not scared of anything right now, anything socially that could come our way, because I know what we, uh, we've we really done. spent the time trying to figure out what we stand for.
2: And, you know, just building on that, uh, Bracken, in terms of, you know, what the brands stand for, and when you look at the constituencies in our world, right, business, government, NGOs, or media, uh, again, the data is saying to us that business is... Um, seen as or elevated as the one that we can trust most at this point. I mean, you know, 10 months ago, it was government that that changed after May 2020. And but right now it's saying business. And when we look at what consumers are saying, they're expecting you as CEO, Bracken, to 86% of saying that they want you to speak on issues of society and values. And almost 70% say that they want you to come in and fix it when the government gets it wrong. So how has Logitech, you know, answered the call for this higher order, uh, you know, societal pressure?
0: We, we've, uh, we'll start with the, we, we have two values that we hold up above everything else. And Gary mentioned them both. One is the environment and the other one is equality. And when, it, in the environment, we, uh, we're moving super fast. We realize we're a small company, we're, we're, a, uh, we're harmless capable company to most other companies. So what we're going to do is lead. And what we've, for example, we're already at 82% renewable energy all over the world. Will be 100. We're going to go from, uh, from a, a, a carbon negative to a car less carbon negative to a carbon neutral to a carbon sorry carbon positive to a carbon really negative, and stay there and be when you engage with us, we're going to be good for the environment. We're going to be taking carbon out of the air. When we're we're, uh, on on we started carbon labeling. We announced we're going to carbon label every single product. We're the first tech company to do that. One of the fir- first three companies in the world. We want carbon just like calories on every single product of everything we buy at any category not only ours and we we've developed a, a, an accurate efficient method to do that and we'll share it with anybody for free where we think that's the way to reduce one of the ways to reduce carbon is competition uh we uh, there also ought to be legislation on it uh so so we're we're really trying to put our actions where our values are and uh, you know I, i'll just say one other thing you know and gary you'll be able to relate to this probably i you know, when I grew up in PNG, I hit this point later after PNG where I got disillusioned with marketing, and I, I grew to dis, I, I just, I, just, I was disgusted by what marketing had become in a lot of places. It was amplifying things that weren't particularly important, or, or kind of hedging the truth, um, or it, finding a chemical that sounded like it might be really effective, and, and pointing to that as a way to show you're superior. So I, I abandoned marketing mentally, and I was really out, and I, I replaced it with design. And then about three or four years ago, I I found my way again, you know, because I because it seemed like authenticity became everything, and I thought, okay, I can live in a world like that. Then if you're if you're lying, it disgusts it, it disgusts for everybody as much as it probably always did, and so now we're back, you know. Now actually, you can advertise your values, and it's a good thing, and uh, you got to do more than that. But so I'm I'm excited about where the marketing world is now.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, the money is following. I mean, if I look at the recent reports in terms of just ESG investing, uh, ESG environment, societal and governance uh, investing, that's, you know, supposed to approach like 53 uh, trillion in assets globally, which is almost a third of all investments under management. So, the money is following in the boardroom. It's um, you know something that uh, CEOs, CMOs, and CFOs across are, are looking at. When you talk to your clients, Gary, uh, within your client roster, and you know they come to you and talk about you know aligning to their values. You know how do you help them on that authenticity in the purpose journey, so that it is to what Bracken was talking about. You know something uh, that is genuine. Um.
1: I appreciate that, Aldo, I, I clearly didn't do a good enough job expressing what I meant by that. We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Raquel, I think um, one is by having a very, very um, firsthand conversation around how that will be judged, right? Um, you know, I think that the reality is is that we make subjective calls, a lot of it on the output of the work. So I think when you ask how have we helped?" we've just had very, very, very real conversations with clients around the notion of, are you let's just, you these are your values, Bracken says, you know, diversity inclusion environment. You know, I think we need to remind ourselves in this room that the decision, the decision that of uh, does this hit the value is almost always just a couple of human beings making a subjective call. And that's okay. That's the nature of the game. But believe it or not, that's been the biggest way we've helped is by making that okay. And then really allowing that leader for her or him to really over-communicate, over-communicate what they're looking for subjectively, which adjectives, <laughs> you know, which which thematics. I think the biggest swirl is you, a lot of times people actually do know what they stand for or what they want to accomplish but it is in the creative process from strategy to creative you know ideation to the meetings we have in rooms and then pushing it out into the world that there's a lot of human shortcomings that come along with it from a subjectivity and i think that's um i think that's been the biggest one just very honest conversation that that's okay
2: and tell us, uh, Bracken, about the honest conversations you've been having inside your boardroom, parts that you can tell us, of
0: course. Well, you know, we're having it throughout the company. We're having it in public. Yeah. You know, we, we put out a million tons of carbon last year. You know, if you look back through our history, we we're a huge contributor to global warming. You know, and, and a lot of the time, uh, you know, there was not a better answer maybe, but now there is. So we have to make up for lost time. Uh, We have to act decisively and we have to do it and at the same time, uh, perform. And it's even more true in social justice, equitable, equitable, equitable treatment of everyone. So we've got a long way to go. And so do most other companies and we have to do it in public and we have to do it transparently and the actions have to be, have to follow and the results need to follow. And we need to be held accountable. We need to put the numbers out there so you can hold us accountable. And I need to be fired if I don't deliver. This is it's a, you know the cool thing, the coolest thing about this conversation is that you know when I when I joined Logitech I had a chart that showed design and its impact on the returns to shareholders and it would show a design company which really were there about ten of them that, that as they defined it, had this incredible arc you know of of two, three hundred uh, percent return over ten years, a non-design company an average company at hundred percent, so being a design company had a greater return. The cool thing about right now I can almost guarantee you if you're if you're a leader in sustainability. In environmental sustainable, and you're a leader in D E and I right now, you're gonna have an arc that's gonna look a lot more powerful than that. If you really, if you really do what you say, you're gonna be, you're gonna they're gonna out companies are gonna outperform other companies by a mile.
1: You know, it's funny, there's a conversation with Aldo and I going on inside, which I really agree with. I love what he said. I disagree with Gary. I think business leaders need to stand for something. I think the nuance there that was really interesting, Aldo and others, was when when I spoke. and when you speak to leaders why they were banning Facebook, they actually couldn't answer the actual issue they had. Mm -hmm. That, well, we want them to stop bad, but they didn't really understand what that really meant. And that was actually the point I think we're having in the chat right now, which is around authenticity. My, My argument wasn't about whether Facebook's good or bad. It was that when you don't know why you're banning Facebook other than, well, we want them to stop hate or brand safety, but you were letting Google and other media outlets get away with it, but it was the Facebook headlines of the moment that you were jumping on board with because there was an ask ban and would you sign your name to it? That became the important part. I think that's what Bracken's talking about here. And I think even if you look at everybody, and I agree with Pullman as well, and like the the chat in here, it is that authenticity. Can you speak to it? I have friends who are like, I don't like NFTs, it's bad for the environment. They read three headlines. They can't speak to it. We live in the greatest era of headline readers. And we as leaders and people that have the ability to make things, it needs to go a little bit deeper. And, and I think we're, and I, you know I'm looking at the body language here. I, you know, it's funny, I talk a lot. Yeah, about three things. I stay so narrow now because I'm like, oh my God if I'm like this about all the other subjects where I know I don't know that much I don't want to sound like this. I'm never talking about healthcare ever again. I'm just going to sit there and listen and listen and listen and listen and listen. So I think, I think there's a really imp- imperative um, uh, you know, uh, notion. And I, Raman, I agree with you. Like, I think when you really dig into what's going on with crypto and NFT, it actually speaks to a lot of incredible environmental gains, but I, that, that was the point there. And that's the theme I think that's happening here a little bit if we think about it, which is like, we lived in a traditional media world for the last hundred years that created incredible ability to hide. You could kill stories, right? We know, you could kill stories, you could PR. The, the internet and the blockchain are so transparently agnostic at scale. That, And I think it's beautiful. I've been telling people for about a decade, I'm like, look, we might be in the era where we're taking one step backwards because we have to look in the mirror and see how ugly so many things are. But there's a lot of beauty out of this. You take one step backwards, two steps forward. And I think the brands that realize that, listening to a CEO like Bracken say, look, we've contributed, like that level of accountability is remarkable. And I think humans respond well to it because there is a level of compassion to understanding that there's things that then quote unquote, need to be done.
2: Yeah, I, and I think in terms of, uh, you know, when we speak going back to the start of our discussion around digital disruption and sort of t- tying that into what's been happening, which has been like societal disruption in many ways, you know, from a, a racial equality front, uh, obviously from an environmental aspect, we've had to really look at, at new ways to do things. One of, and I'm going to pick on the, you know, one area that I know is, is hot here on our chat and everyone wants to maybe dive into a little more, NFTs, um, you know, as a as a currency of digital assets and, you know, creating value using um, the Bitcoin technology, Ethereum, et cetera. Can you tell uh, for the newcomers to NFTs, um, Gary, a one-sentence definition, what it is? Like if you were telling a fifth grader.
1: Yeah. So... Um, I think Ramon's adding a a lot of value here because it is a web 3.0 thing and there's a lot to NFTs. But let me say this, I've gotten seven to 12 DMs here about my talk four years ago, which it makes me very flattered. The, The reason I'm getting those DMs is a lot of things were said that day that played out. I promise you, here's my one sentence, 50 hours of homework. When I see everybody's faces here and I think about how many more years of creating impacting, mentoring, operating that I'm seeing right now on the other side, nobody here, especially if you're in this room right now, has the luxury to not educate themselves on this Web 3.0 movement. There's only been two times in my life when I've stopped dead in my tracks and completely changed the course of my life professionally. One was when I thought I was gonna open up 800 wine stores for my dad and open up the Toys R Us of wine. And I saw the internet in 95 and I immediately decided, when I didn't even know, own a computer that I was gonna launch a website. And the second time was when I saw social media and web 2.0, you know, YouTube, MySpace, Twitter. The third time was this winter when I realized that NFTs which is a narrow part of web three, but it's the part I understand and it is definitely the part that I think will impact consumer packaged goods the most because we're gonna be in a world In five five seconds to a five-year-old, I always say the following things. Do you have a child that has asked you for a credit card to buy an upgrade in a video game named Roblox, Minecraft, Fortnite, NBA 2K, or Madden, and you already know what an NFT is? Or are you a human being that believes that a blue check mark or having a lot of followers on social media is something of status? Or do you actually understand why people buy Mercedes Benzes and Rolexes and Gucci bags. And what I mean by all those things is it's a digital asset that is non-fungible, means it's, it, it's not like a dollar where it can trade like Bitcoin. But I think what it really is is a social communication token. The, the way you have to really think about it is this. In six years, it is my prediction, eight years, four years, nine years, that ha- having a public wallet that shows what tokens are there. Some are art and some are collectible, but some may also be a gold token from Reebok that lets you be part of their exclusive VIP club that gets you this, that and the other thing. Because what NFT has is it has a smart contract underneath the image that allows you to navigate under. When that happens, the whole world will run on that currency because The whole world's running on social media currency right now if you actually look carefully. And so NFTs are incredibly important. It's the digitalization of assets and you have to make the jump that so many people couldn't make when I made them. I made the jump that people would buy wine on the internet. I made the jump in 1999 to tell all my friends everybody would date online when everybody thought it was just weird guys in their mom's basement. I made the jump, I made the jump. You have to make the jump that people will want to show other people what they have bought for a variety of reasons. If you're able to do that, um, you will understand how powerful it is, especially when you understand what an NFT can do because it is a smart contract. You will sell your home as an NFT one day, people in this room. Because with a decentralized platform, you won't be paying the tax of centralized organizations that don't bring anything to the value of the transaction.
2: Yeah, and everyone go check out the friends uh, Gary's uh, latest NFT launch. So we'll be checking that out. Uh, L- get Bracken, we have an interesting question from the audience for you here uh, regarding um, you know the story where you've been most vulnerable um, in terms of admitting where you know you made a mistake and and how did it play out? I guess this is a career.
0: Uh, I, Raquel, uh, I you heard that. Switching here a little
2: bit. What uh,
0: it was? Uh, it was May 29th of 2020, like four or five days after George Floyd, and uh, I was sitting at my dining room table, you know, thinking about that because I'd I'd watched the video, and th- and I started thinking about South Africa, and I thought, you know, how did how did all those people in South Africa live that long without doing something about apartheid? And then it hit me. Actually, we're sitting in the middle of an American apartheid, of the American apartheid. And and then I thought, and I'm a, I've got this big platform. I'm a CEO. I've had it for eight years, and I haven't said one word about it. And it was like getting hit in the head with a frying pan. But it, the the pain didn't go away. And I deserved it. And I, I, you know, Gary talked about three or four turning points in his career. This was a turning point in my life. And I just realized, you know, I've got to change everything about what I'm doing. And it completely changed the way I thought about everything, including the purpose of the company—not to serve a meat, but but because the company needed to change in the context of the world that that we've been living in for a long time. I also immediately saw parallels to the environment, you know, where I thought, you know what, companies like us, people like us, have done bad, bad stuff, whether it's for the environment or it's or it's uh, it's, it's systemic racism or perpetuating it. I just this all hit me, you know, and so from that point forward, I've been very open about uh, the mistakes I've made in those two areas and the mistakes Logitech's made in those two areas, and I think most co- companies have. And most important thing is not even that; it's really so. What are you going to do about it? And how are you going to how are you going to show it? How are you going to prove you did it? And and so that's what we're up to now.
2: Great. Thanks for sharing. And I, I know that um, that heartfelt sentiment is something that, you know, employees also get cues and signals from from their leaders. So, uh, you know, it's it's really critical in terms of a culture uh, of your company. And, you know, speaking about culture uh, and building the right type of culture, you know, Gary at VaynerX and VaynerMedia, you know, how, how have you and your leadership team come to terms with, you know, some of the the big social uh, upheaval that we've faced in the last 12, 15 months, from a disease point of view, COVID, and then of course racial inequality, accountability
1: conversation, a lot of town halls like this. You know, we were in a pretty good spot in a lot of places with our DNI initiatives, but there was always more to be done. Um, I've, I've been publicly out in front about like C-suite black leaders and other things that we've executed on. So, you know, to me, life is not scary if you realize you're human, which means you're incredibly flawed. <laughs> like we just make a lot of mistakes, which is nice. Like, like, I'm very fortunate. My parents are so all time and I was born in a foreign country, came here with nothing. So between the greatest mom of all time and having nothing as a kid, which means I have zero entitlement, you know, and then like subconsciously falling in love with accountability, hard, hard times are actually I don't want to say they're easy because they're impossibly difficult, but I, I, you know, one thing I would tell a lot of you here, whether it's in your parenting or whatever you lead, it's just the greatest way to not have anxiety is to say you you don't know or you made a mistake or you're excited that you can see it now. Like to me, it's I've been I enjoy when I don't see. Let me give you one just to be a little vulnerable. I'm so. This is gonna blow you away because in public settings I can be very confrontational because I have very big passions against the system. But as an operator, I have 1500 global employees right now. I've been a business leader my whole life, every day since I've been 22. I'm actually really bad with candor. I'm so positive, I'm so optimistic and I hate conflict that I've done a very bad job with candor as a leader for the first 20 years of my career, which led to entitlement and also led to fear, which was devastating to me because people didn't know where they stood. So, you know, the way we've handled Raquel is like everything we haven't done well enough, you own it. People then, you know, what's I always tell people, you know, uh, we've done a lot of great things. I had an employee that came at me very hard in a one-on-one that it wasn't enough. And I said to him, I said, I said, I was born in the Soviet Union. You live in America. I'm bleeding out of my eyes to do all these things. And I feel great about them but you are incredibly entitled to feel that I'm not doing enough. What's incredible about America is you can leave and I'll help you because I wanna come through for you, but I'm just trying and I think humanity and candor and accountability and not beating yourself up. There's not a person on here that hasn't made significant multiple mistakes in their life. And that's just the truth and that's okay. We've, We've lived in this facade. Like, just because you're a leader, doesn't mean you're perfect. Like, and you're always just trying. What I would say is, if you, if you have bad intent, if you have hate, if you have selfishness, you're gonna have a tough time because it's gonna get smoked out. You gotta, you gotta be self-aware on those fronts, but making mistakes, not seeing something, not having a good enough perspective on cash flow or DNI or the environment, those are all things you have to go through as a journey, as a human. And I think it starts with the accountability and candor.
2: I should call you both masters of human progress, as well as masters of digital disruption. Um, when it comes to creating that candor and that authenticity, how do you, you know, coach, advise you know, your fellow CEOs who may not have that rigorous passion that you've both displayed in our conversation here, or not even that uh, ability to have that transparency or to see what's wrong? What, what advice do you have for that group and, and, and for their, and for their leaders?
0: Is that directed at me? I, yeah. I, 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 not, I, think
2: not, I think we're playing ping pong here,
1: Bracken. So yeah, come, come on Bracken, okay. your uh, turn now. Uh,
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm probably better at the real ping pong. Uh, so I, first of all, I, I'm not sure that I, that I'd be the one to give them advice. I don't think I'm a very good coach and I, I'm not even a very good manager. Um, but I, but I guess at the end of the day, the, the only thing I would say is, you know, you try your hardest to be yourself. I, I want to, I want to reflect back on something Gary said that underneath it, you know, there, there's something that I, I came to the conclusion of a few years ago that I feel really strongly about. And it, it goes back to, you know, the, at the end of the day, you know, we, these, the word success, the word failure didn't, weren't, weren't, they weren't, they're not inherent in that in what we, in the way we're wired. They're words that we put on ourselves and just like grades in school. And you know, grades in schools are, are really kind of useless. They just give you a, an estimate of where you were. And the same thing for the word success and failure. I, I really think both words, we should just take them out of vocab, vocabulary and replace them with learning. And uh, you've got to risk manage your failures. Um, but, and, and success is actually much scarier than, than failures to me. I mean, because failures, you know you're, you're going to learn from. When you're a kid, you fall so many times for you learn to walk. But success is it goes to your head and you, you try to protect it and you, and, you, and you stop changing it. One of the things I admire the most about Gary is every time I see Gary, he's, a, he's got a different view on the world. And, you know, that the only way to do that is to go back to zero and just ditch what you were thinking before. And maybe you end up in many of the same spots because you reason your way there. And that's great. But, but trying to live without letting the things that, you know, that got you there keep you where you are is such a challenge in life and so critical.
1: it's funny. That's such an incredibly well put several sentences. I I talk about it in terms of sports. If you fall in love with the cheering, you become incredibly vulnerable to the booing. You know, I plan on doing a lot of things and I'm 45 and have done a lot of things. And the way I've built it, most of the things that I do professionally are in front of me, not behind me. And then I don't think I mean anything. I I think humility, I'm I'm ups- you act you want the I'll actually answer your question with that. the number one thing and I deal with a lot of kids who go from zero to billion dollar companies and all sorts of crazy stuff because I'm very involved in early startup life you know, Rachel Typograph uh, who's incredible micmac you should look up Rachel one of my favorite entrepreneurs in the world I love mentoring her cuz she's like me you know like I just see her myself in her and and one of the things I love about her is a lot of things come natural to her and I saw her naturally do something and I said, keep doing that. I'm like, humility is the secret weapon of the A class. And so I the one thing I talk a lot about is humility, which, you know, a lot of times when I first meet somebody, they laugh at that because they see the way I communicate online. And it is conviction, it is passion. I am excitable. I do believe in what I talk about. But but do not confuse conviction conviction and humility are actually incredible dance partners and have worked very well for people i admire and have been absolutely the the ballet that has worked for me
2: yeah that's that's awesome that's great and and you know when we think about future proofing our businesses and having that curious mindset as you you know both talked about in terms of being open to new ideas willing to know that you might fall and hurt yourself but knowing that you can get get up again, that innovation gene, you know, is missing in most of corporate America. In fact, you know, if we look at internal cultures, you know, they say that it exists existed less than 6%. A lot of that has to do with the pipeline of talent you bring in, the leadership style, culture, think, all these
1: elements. I, I'm sorry to interrupt because I'm, I got excited. I, Go ahead, I think, Gary. I think, I think none of that has to do with that, Raquel. I think those are the byproducts of corporate America plays defense. You're doing everything for 90 day terms. There's no offense, there's none. It is the scariest thing to watch for me. I will be long gone out of agency Fortune 500 land when this really becomes the carnage that is obvious, but let there be no confusion. The biggest brands in the world are in the most dangerous spot they've been, and COVID tricked them because they did well during COVID because of the way the infrastructure was built, and they still had that infrastructure feel safe. Da, 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 da. The market share collapse is upon us because of how pot committed they are to retail, um, and you know the reason that innovation is dead is you're not innovation requires investment. Mm-hmm. These poor brand managers and CMOS and CEOs of Fortune 500 companies have no wiggle room. The, the 3G mafia of cost cutting became the darling of Wall Street. They've started to pay the price. I know Bracken's probably got something on this, but let there be no confusion. Nobody's investing. You can't, you can't just say, oh, I'm gonna do like, like it's insane to me. I started my company thinking all my revenue would come from the 20% that every company had for offense. There's 0%.
2: Right, Bracken. go ahead, Bracken.
0: I'll give a, I'll give a, a, a maybe a counterpoint. maybe it's a maybe it's a side point. I think they're investing. I think they're investing in the wrong places in the wrong way. Yeah. You know, I think if you look at what at the old model your view of the world was, if you were in a big company it was you know I, I'm going to go into this new initiative, I' put a thousand people there. We, we open the building up and then we go after it. You know Gary, when you started your company, you started with you. you know and the most effective things i see start with one or two people and they move to five and i've seen people with startups that had five or seven people outdo stuff that we did with a hundred yeah and it's because they're not bureaucratic we are and and they're not they're in touch with the customer because there's nowhere else to do to go Correct. the the one person talks to another person instead of going up into doing a a document and then sending it up and over and, and over again and down so I think the key to to for big companies, if you're if you're in a big company, I, I really think the future is going to be this concept of scaling small, which is scaling is really important. I mean, scaling is super valuable, but so is being small and and nimble and not having to go through a bunch of red tape and bureaucracy. So we've got to figure out ways to scale small, and that means we have to operate in very small teams that are that are disconnected but kind of connected. You know, when the I have 24 direct reports, you know that always surprises people and. The reason I have twenty-four direct reports is because I don't run this company. This company runs, and 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 we're not good enough, but we're better than many. And uh, and I think the future is going to be a lot of small companies aggregated together, or a lot of small groups aggregated together to be a company. And they're going to be a little out of control in some areas, but overall, they're going to be quite in control.
2: And with your direct subrack, in you know, when you're looking at you know options, is always about strategic choice of where to invest. In terms of growth, how you know what are besides the you know the critical ones that we would expect from financial financial aspect? What are some of the other criteria that you look at?
0: Well, it's a lot easier to grow in growing categories. So go into growing categories or go into new categories. It's a it's a lot easier to win if you're competing with people that you think you could beat. Um, try to stay away from the 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 dead center of one of these monsters um, strategies. That doesn't mean you can't compete with really large companies. If it's mm-hmm. kind of on the on the sideline of their strategy, you can usually beat them really every time. But but just stay away from the dead center of the plate. Don't try to be 1% of the, of the smartphone business right now. That's probably not a way to make money. You know, then the third one is, you know, if you go somewhere where you think you have capability, you can build it, you know, and, uh, and usually you can, or you can buy it or something. And then I guess the most important one to me is um, don't be afraid to look all the way down the street and around the corner and and lean in and follow your intuition. It's usually right. And usually that's where you win. And you stay with it when other people step away from it or or when other people don't think it's attractive. That's what great startups do all all the time. Now you have to have patience and your money has to be patient to Gary's point on money. You Mm -hmm. have to really stay with it. I mean, so many of the greatest things that have ever happened took 10 years before they looked anything less than mediocre or five years. Now, fortunately, the world's moving faster now, so we probably won't have to wait that long now, but some of them you will, and you shouldn't be afraid if you really believe in it.
2: Right. So, so as we think about that and we think about predictions, so we're at the fun part here, uh, where as we wind down with the last couple of questions, you know, what, I mean, we've talked a little bit already on this uh, webinar about predictions, uh, but, but if you had to formulate and say, like, what are the top? two or three priorities that this audience needs to keep in mind uh, when it comes to digital, digital disruption and societal disruption, because they're intertwined. You know, what would you say are the things that we should keep our eyes on in terms of the radar?
1: From, from my standpoint, just complete obsession of what's going on at the consumer level. It's crazy what my life is. I didn't realize this. It was the last discipline I started at my agency. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to like tell the stories of how I built this thing. I actually thought creative strategy, account and media were actually all one person because that's how I built my business. So I just thought I was gonna hire all those people. <laughs> and you know, I, I got woken up to a lot of things over the last 13 years. But what I can tell you is deep down, I'm a strategist. I just spend hours and hours and hours reading consumer information in social, in Reddit, in chat rooms. I'm in 45 mom Facebook groups, 45, <laughs> actively. And, and I, I keep getting a lot of accolades for predicting things and I've predicted nothing in my entire career. You know, I, when I invested in Coinbase and Bitcoin and Ethereum in 2014 and 16, that was me listening. You know, when, when you know, I'm just listening, like TikTok for, you know, brand building, brand building is happening in social. If, you, if you're kind of on boards or running things, the conversation that you'd probably wanna learn about and bring up in your real life is, nobody in corporate America thinks brand is built in social. Nobody, right? And so that's the big aha, uh-huh. but more importantly, the consumer insights are there too. And so what I would say is, I feel like I'm a very one dimensional boy, but I've been able to outflank some of the most significant organizations and people in the world, on complete religion about one thing, listening to the consumer three, six, nine hours a day. And I run across people who haven't done three minutes of actual consumer listening in the last two years. We're in our boardrooms. We need to get, You know, this is what was beautiful about being a retailer. I was on the floor for 15 hours a day. I was trained there. I listened to customers. And then once you realize that, then you realize it's not top down, it's relevance, it's relevance, not awareness. And once big companies realize it's relevance and not awareness, they start making a lot of contextual creative. And once they do that, they get insights, and then they can do Super Bowl, which is still the best ad in marketing.
2: Ah, uh, Miracle Grow, I remember that one. <laughs> Bracken, what about you? What do you think are you know the priorities as if, if we if we become better predictors and future proof ourselves?
0: Uh, I'll 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 uh, go back to what Gary said in just a second. I think the most important thing to realize you're, is your in your personal life, and your work life, and in your company, there's only two options. You're either growing or you're dying. You know, so, and and to grow, you've got to find, you've got to be on the edge. You've got to be edge of what's happening. Now you've got to find your way. Gary just described a bunch of things that he's doing to find his way onto the edge of what's happening in the world right now. He's talking about the consumer insight. You can also probably in my business, I need to be on the edge of technology. Yeah, Um, I need to be on the edge of both. So, so what I do is I meet with I've probably met with three or four thousand founders since I've been in this job. I meet founders every single day. I mean, three times a day I'm meeting with founders. Before COVID, I was having breakfast with them. After COVID, I'm having I'm having during COVID, I'm having zooms with them. I am on all the time, and I view that as a incredibly important part of my career and and uh, my and my life. You know, because I want to stay on the edge. You know, if you want to suddenly realize, you know, the other one is have kids. You know, if you don't, but because kids. <laughs> Kids take you right into the front line of what's happening. I mean, they're always on the edge. They're learning before you are. I mean, and if you look at something, you think, man, you're my kids wait, really wasting my time. Look harder because are wasting their time because look harder because that's usually where the future is going to be. The careers, the jobs, the, the pastimes, the whole thing. So whatever you need to do to find your way to the edge of what's happening, whether it's the consumer insight or the technology, do it. And For me, it's meeting with a lot of founders and startups.
2: All right, as we uh, have the final couple of minutes here, I have to ask you both, what are some rituals and hobbies that uh, you fell in love with during COVID that you are gonna continue post COVID?
1: Um, I, uh, I, I just, I've always, always have done a really good job in like finding moments to communicate. You know, I'm so passionate about my career, hacking my time, for family, I've gotten to an incredible cadence of like two minutes here, nine minutes there, 13 minutes there, four minutes there, five hours there. And then this new virtual world where there's a lot of things I won't have to fly out. If Bracken emailed me and said, hey, uh, it's time to talk a little bit business. I would be in San Francisco in two seconds. Knowing now that there's a 50% chance that he equally would just love to do that meeting for an hour on Zoom is a game changer. And what I've practiced is, I've been very fortunate my kids School has been one of the more successful ones here in Manhattan. Has been open the whole time, and they've been doing activities. And I've been breaking my own patterns and taking meetings virtually on a phone, right next door to my kids' function, so that I can do my kids' function. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm. I'm just so excited that I'm not gonna have the anxiety of like running out of the office for my son's game or my daughter's game or play. And you know, you get a lot of people here probably have that anxiety of like traffic or you miss it by five, you start five minutes late. The fact that I can go and this is a very little one, but I'm sharing it. The fact that if my daughter has a 4.30 thing, I'm gonna do my 3.30 meetings on phone at Starbucks across the street for an hour and then easily, and thank you Nina for the affirmation, easily walk in to her event and not feel anxious. whereas every day of the last 10 years, I would be at the office trying to milk in every minute, but still be there on time. And then sure enough, Midtown Manhattan and anxiety and I'm a bad dude. And So just using technology is a really incredibly powerful thing. And I'm
2: very grateful for it. Excellent. And Bracken?
0: Well, if I, if I can, I mean, I, I'm, I always fall in love with Gary's answer, so I forget what the question was. I, I, think, uh, I think if you ask me, what am I really taking away from the pandemic that's different? Uh, it's probably two couple things, but the most important one is I'm playing offense. You know, I think too much of the time I was I was receiving what was given me. I mean, people would schedule meetings and my calendar would be loaded with stuff and I would react. And because of the pandemic and because of George Floyd, I started playing. I pl- started playing offense. I started I stopped letting people come to me. I made probably twenty five angel investments over a couple you know, over seven or eight years. And I bet twenty four of them were were white people or Asian people. And then after George Floyd, I, I realized why. It's because I was just finding people I liked and there were spaces I liked and, the, and nobody else was coming to me. I didn't have a BIPOC person come to me or I had a few and I invested in a few. So I flipped it. And I, seven of my, ass, my last eight investments have been in BIPOC uh, entrepreneurs. And it's incredible, the low hanging, amazing talent there. I mean, it's inc- amazing. And, uh, and, and so I've really tried to flip the switch and and, and it's so much easier, to Gary's point, where I, suddenly I can set up a 10-minute meeting at any time. And I go, I go on LinkedIn, and I just surf LinkedIn and find businesses that I think look interesting or people who are doing interesting things. I just did it this weekend with an agency, actually. And it's, it's really exciting. And uh, so, so I'd say I've learned to play offense sitting in a chair.
2: Awesome. And maybe sometime we'll see you on that basketball court too, right, Bracken? I'll definitely be
0: on the basketball court. You can tell that I'll play anything.
2: I know Andrew Tarvin's on this uh, webinar and I know you guys guys had a good conversation with basketball. It's a big thing in this household too. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I want to say a huge round of applause. If you want to go unmute and applaud this amazing Masters of Digital Disruption, Bracken and Gary Vee, thank you. You have clearly told us three major things. Listen, listen, listen. Be humble, humble, humble. And live on the edge. Uh, and uh, don't forget to have your phone with you in that outdoor meeting next to your <laughs> soccer game. Uh, <laughs> before so,
1: it, before it. So there's no anxiety. It, before not time. during it,
2: before it. Right, right. Um, with that, I want to thank everyone. Please join the PNG alumni if you're a PNG alum at pngalums.com. And uh, we look to welcome you at our next event. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank,
0: thank you, so you so much. much. Bye, Great everybody. Great to you guys. see you. Great to see everybody. Bye now.
1: couple of shout outs uh daily on uh our favorite reviews so take it away which were our favorites this week
0: thanks gary today's amazing five-star review comes from zane and it reads great life and parenting advice i've used gary's talks to start conversations with my teenager he reinforces so many things that i try to instill in my son thank you gary for leading with truth and empathy thank you again for that amazing review and to anybody listening out there if you leave us a review you might just get shouted out in the next episode